Welcome to Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I'm your host, Shane Bacon. Let's not beat around the bush. We have way too much to talk about today. Yes, I'm back in Arizona. It's only 120 degrees here. Uh, early flight back from Pittsburgh, from Oakmont. A really uh, incredible week there. Man, that golf course is awesome. Let me just say it again. That golf course is awesome. The champion was awesome, and then everything else. It was uh, it was a very interesting week. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. I hope your Monday's going as well as Dustin Johnson's. An easy way to get in touch with us: follow me on Twitter at Shane Bacon. You can follow the podcast at the Clubhouse Pod. You can use the hashtag Clubhouse SB for any and all questions. If you have a longer question or want to fire us a comment or just yell at us, you can use the email the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon at gmail.com. And I wanted to start with this. I wouldn't say I'm any sort of a pioneer of golf social media, not even close, but I, I have been around for a few years and I I do follow it pretty closely during tournaments and have a little bit of fun with it. And I've made some friends through it, which sounds incredibly dorky and nerdy, but it's true. I can easily say there's never been anything like this. Yesterday afternoon, golf social media was at its peak. It is. It would look like one of Dustin Johnson's Pro Tracer golf shots It was out of the screen good. People were freaking out. And let me tell you, when people freak out on social media is when you get some of the best stuff. No Laying Up, our good buddies at No Laying Up, put together a list of some of the best tweets. They also just redid their webpage. So go check that out, nolayingup.com. But they put together some of the best and funniest tweets from kind of uh, all the USGA, Ball, Putt, Dustin Johnson, Fifth Green. It's it's funny. You need to go look at it. It is it is extremely entertaining. All of you guys out there, let me just give you a quick round of applause because you are hilarious all the time. You were hilarious yesterday. And I just have to say kudos and congratulations because it really did make the whole experience better. Uh, the moment Jeff Hall, the USGA, approached Dustin Johnson... And it was reported from the booth, the world exploded. Uh, I actually got to talk to Jeff Hall after there on Fox. And uh, it was it was interesting just kind of hear what they had to say. I, I, I don't hate what they said about it because I think that it makes sense. They're trying to stand by the, the rules they've applied. And I think that's something we all have to understand. Even if you don't agree, they're trying to stand by what they believe. And I think that's admirable. And I think it's understandable. Now... You move into a place of why did any of this happen? And the good news is it doesn't matter because Dustin Johnson won by a whole bunch, won his first major, won the U.S. Open, kind of the trophy he had been chasing, it seems like, for years, dating back to Pebble Beach when he tried to hit a shot lefty, which was not a good move. Interesting enough, I hit golf balls with Dustin Johnson at TaylorMade a few years back. He grabbed my driver, lefty, said he'd never hit one left-handed before, went ahead and hit one 271 right down the middle. So, uh... He's an athlete, if you haven't heard that. Guy's got some uh, some talent. I picked out a couple of the tweets that were my favorite. Tron Carter, I mean, it's the winner of the week. If his putter did not sit, you must acquit. That got like thousands of retweets. It's pretty funny. Just amazing. Well done, Tron. He's one of the better. If you don't follow him, he's Tron Carter NLU on Twitter. He's incredible. A non-USGA tweet that really made me laugh. Smiley Kaufman. At Justin Thomas said, keeping everyone on their toes, bold strategy, I like it. Posted a scorecard to JT who went eight holes in his third round without a par. Started out bogey, 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 then went birdie, birdie, then went bogey, bogey, and a birdie. 
really, if you haven't looked at Justin Thomas's scorecard from the week, please go do that because it is colorful and you'll enjoy it. But enough of that. It is. Uh, it is. Uh, uh, we have a lot to talk about. We have to talk about all the the USGA, the Dustin Johnson stuff. Talk about the win. You know, and in Lawson, a lot of this is Shane Lowry. The good news is Curtis Strange is on the podcast. Curtis Strange followed the Shane Lowry group uh, for Fox all day long. First-hand look at kind of the collapse that was lost, I guess you could say. He had a four-shot lead going into the final round. People completely forget that. And, uh, and, and not only did he get to watch him, but he got to watch Andrew Landry, kind of the story of the week for three rounds, in my opinion. I just wanted to give a shout-out to some of these guys. First, Ricky Fowler, uh, shot 11 over in two rounds, uh, was kind enough to sit down with me and, and, and talk to me for Fox. And, and, and I just, you know, you're doing this for the first time in, in, a, in a big event like this, and somebody like Ricky Fowler takes a, a couple of minutes to talk about the week when he played not good, and I, I think that's really impressive. So thank you very much to, to, to Mr. Ricky Fowler. That was cool of you. Andrew Landry was Amazing all week, obviously kind of come in as an unknown, and, and he was very gracious with us. He would talk to us anytime he could. He talked to us on the range before the final round, obviously when he's thinking about a million trillion different things. Graham McDowell, which we ended up not airing because there was so much golf to be shown. Graham McDowell sat down with us, talked a little bit about Shane Lowry after his round. Jim Furyk and I talked a little Arizona baseball. It was a really fun week. So I just wanted to give those guys a, a little quick shout out and say thank you. Also, I wanted to say thank you to the USGA. Um, they, they did not have to come sit down w- with me after the round and talk about um, all that went down. So those guys, uh, you know, it's it, Thomas and Jeff, thank you guys for doing that. That's not an easy situation to be in. And they answered the questions that I asked uh, honorably and respectfully. And, and, and they were in a, you know, it was a tough spot. It was, it was hard to deal with and it, it wasn't easy for them. So kudos to them. Thank you guys for all the love you sent my way this week. Enough of that. I have Curtis Strange on, and, and I'm excited to get to the guest. Let's do that. Not only is he a two-time U.S. Open champion, but he was rocking and rolling all weekend at Oakmont for Fox. Proud to welcome to the clubhouse the Hall of Famer, Mr. Curtis Strange. Thanks, Shane. Nice to be with you, although I've been with you for uh, six or seven straight days. <laughs> you, you're about sick of me. I totally understand. Uh, I ask everybody that played golf, my first question has nothing to do with U.S. Open, but I have to ask you, what have you had to eat today? Who fruit and vegetables so far? Try, try when we when we do a telecast, you very right. well know we don't eat very well. So uh, we get home and try to get lose a few pounds. Well, uh, obviously you were out hoofing um, with the final group. You were uh, you were hoofing all week, really. I mean, it was a crazy week at Oakmont, obviously with the weather delays and such. You were also in the booth talking with the guys early over the weekend on Fox. Uh, all that's fine and dandy, but I mean, we can't bury the lead here. Let's start with Dustin and number five and everything that went down uh, in the middle of, of really of our telecast. Um, you were with the group. You were with Shane Lowry. Uh, you were not with Dustin right. Johnson. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, first of all, when did you initially get word of what was kind of happening with Dustin Johnson since they were a group ahead of you? You know, Shane, uh, pretty quickly after the so-called rules infraction happened, uh, it went around the golf course, uh, you know, went through my ear from the producer. and But I thought it was over because when the ball moved, Dustin brought the, the official over. The, every group has an official, USGA official. Told him what happened. The official said, that's fine. End of discussion. Fast forward, you know, seven holes to the 12th tee, a couple of the lead officials, I guess Thomas Pago and Jeff Hall and whoever it might have been, 
said we might have a problem. They have looked at the tape. Well, now they say we need to discuss this after you finish. Now the problem starts twofold. One is they've seen the tape. They know what they're going to do. So if they think they're going to penalize him, do it now. So he knows and his fellow competitors know. Now they did know there was, there was some controversy. Uh, you know, I'm so proud of Dustin for, for playing the way he did with that hanging over him. Uh, Jack Nicholas has said it was crap, terrible decision. That's all we need to say. If he says that, that's right. <laughs> um, I, I just think that it's, uh, it was, it puts a, a terrible black eye on, on the USGA. But again, I, I, you know, this is kind of the lead story, but I think even more so Dustin's the lead story. His first major, he played so well and he finished like a true champion. Yeah, and, and you're following Lowry and Andrew Landry, who who, who was struggling a bit, and, and Lowry obviously goes in with a four-shot lead. You know, you're with these guys thinking Shane Lowry's going to be the story coming out of Oakmont. I mean, he has this big lead. It had been Payne Stewart was the last U.S. Open champion. They gave up a four-shot four lead. I think that was in 98. I mean, it, it was a while back. Um, as a reporter on the ground, you're hearing from the producer in your ear, like you mentioned. How hard is it for you to continue to focus on your group knowing that, this major story is unfolding. Really, one of the the biggest stories away from the actual action that maybe has ever happened uh, in a major. I mean, if you think about it, it I, we'd have to go back to Tiger hitting the flagstick uh, at, at the Masters. You know, if we think yeah. about a story that that was it was an outside agent almost. Yeah, and that's the only thing in my in my memory uh, that is even close to this is Tiger in the flagstick and the did he did he should it be DQ'd, quit, or whatever it might have been. Uh, you know, I hear all this. Uh, I've still got two guys I'm in charge of, uh, my group. Uh, there's nothing I can do about it. I was a very, very smart of the conversation, a, a very small part of the conversation during the telecast. I thought Fox, Azinger, Fax, Joe Buck, I think they all handled it so well. One time, I'm thinking in my ear, because I'm on course, I have no pictures. So I listen better than I ever do in my life because that's all I have. And I thought at one time we might be overstating the obvious here, might be overdoing it a bit. But when I finished the telecast and when this thing played out all the way through the end, there was no way we overdid it. This, this could have been the biggest ruling of all time if he would have tied and then put one stroke penalty on him and he loses. Or in fact, finishes one ahead, thinks he's won, now he's in a playoff, and he loses today. So uh, I think Fox, I think the three guys in the booth did a fantastic job. I'm reading everything after I get off the airplane. I'm reading all the tweets from all the players. I haven't read, Shane, one tweet or one comment that thought he should have been penalized, except for two or three men. You know, when, when, do, when do we, as rules officials – protect the players and i don't mean we need to let them get away with murder out there but the point is these greens were triple cut in the morning and rolled twice they were rolled once or twice between the rounds yesterday they are 14 14 and a half on the stint meter and for our listeners that is like in a bathtub yeah, right? exactly and then and then we have the incredible slopes so there's not a whole lot of friction there to stop the ball and I'm surprised more balls don't move because of the slopes and gravity just takes over once in a while. And of course the chain, the rule has changed two years ago. It was a very confusing 
two hours for all of us, and uh, thank goodness it didn't affect the outcome. Yeah, and, and my next question, I think you answered it, but my next question for you is, I mean, you saw the video. You saw it from every angle we had. Um, did you think it was a penalty? No. Not, not at the all? The rule up until two years ago was you had not addressed the ball until you put your putter directly behind the ball. He never did that. He took a couple of practice strokes. They tried to clarify the ruling by changing it a bit two years ago. They made it even more muddied and more gray. Uh, he took some practice strokes, the ball moved, and they put it on him. And I just, I just don't agree. And I haven't seen one person out there, especially the players, uh, those who could have maybe benefited from a penalty, not one of them agreed with that. Yeah, and I'm a bit confused on this point, um, and I just wanted to get your thoughts because it's something that's kind of been going through my mind. I mean, you know, like you said, I, I you know, I'm I'm in the interview room trying to work on, you know, I'm talking to Jim Furyk or trying to get Jason Day, and, and I'm also trying to juggle this. You're on the course juggling the final group. You know, I mean, Shane Lowry was still very much in the championship at that point, uh, but you know, golf is a game of integrity before anything else. And I go back to I heard a comment of a player made one time. He was asking about a pitch mark on the green, and he he said. He wanted to repair it. You know, sometimes they'll ask players, hey, I want to repair the pitch mark. The other right. player said, you know what a pitch mark is. You know, you know what it looks like or what a pitch mark doesn't look like. Like, I don't need to tell you. If Justin, if Dustin Johnson, I, I did the Justin thing. If Dustin Johnson said he didn't ground his club, he said it that moment. He goes, I didn't, I didn't ground my club. If he says that, isn't the final word on DJ? And isn't it, isn't it an integrity thing? I mean, if he says he didn't do it, it's on him, and I almost feel like they took that right a little bit away from him. Well, I think, I think you're totally right. Now, the gray area in that argument is, what if the player really doesn't know the rule? He thinks he's done the right thing. So we do need officials. We do need the rules book, which is very complicated. But we do need, in, in a situation that the player thinks he's right, but he actually isn't because he doesn't know the rule properly. In Justin's case, it's a subjective thing. And to me, and I go back to Jack Nicholas. I've just read his quotes. He said it was a terrible uh, ruling. And this game is a game of integrity and honesty. And if Dustin says he did not make it move, we should move forward. Now, Jack has become and has been for a long time the last word in golf because we all respect him so much for everything he's ever done. And if he says that, I'm going with him because he is the most honorable man and one of the most honorable men has ever played the game. He's such a, 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 a role model for everyone. And I just think you have to go with the guy's, you know, honesty. And uh, if the, see, if you go to the tape and you really think he had something to do with the ball move, then we have discussion. But nobody has seen that tape that think he made the, uh, deemed the ball to move. And therein lies the end of the discussion. Right. But, they thought in their minds that he had deemed it to move. And if that's the case, they should have given him the one-stroke penalty on the 12th tee where everybody knows what kind of playing field we're playing for now. I, one of the best quotes, uh, tweets I saw, Shane, was from uh, McPherson on the LPGA Tour. She says, hey, LeBron, LeBron, we're going to let you know you've just won game seven. We're going to let you know in 10 minutes if you actually won or not. <laughs> so – you know, it's, it's, you can relate it to so many different uh, analogies out there that I, I just it's, – it's terrible because the U.S. Open is the grandest week of the year. It's, the grand, it's our national championship, and it, uh, it's, it's, got a, it's got a black eye on it right now. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm not, I don't want to focus on this the whole, the whole time, obviously. I want to talk about Dustin. I want to talk about some other things. But I, I did want to ask you, you know, 
the, the reason they approached him on the 12th tee was, and, and I was I, I did the same thing. I, I watched some stuff this morning. I read some stuff this morning. Was There was a weight on the tee, and they thought they could have a conversation with him and not interrupt play. Do you think they should have waited? Do you think they should have approached him then, or do you think they should have waited until the, the round ended? Well, it's a great point, and I really haven't thought about that. If they weren't going to make a decision at that point, but just annoying, yes, they should. I don't think they should have said a thing. But then their argument is, you know, I want you to be aware that it might be a one-stroke penalty so you can play accordingly. And I will say this. They told all the other competitors in that vicinity, yes, there is, there is something going on. So just be aware that he might incur a one-stroke penalty. That's fair enough. But I, in, in that case, there's really no right or wrong. I think, bottom line, they're doing what they think is right. Right. Uh, but when they know I, – I, you know, when I saw Jeff Hall's interview yesterday or listened to it, uh, and he's admitted today that there was nothing they saw that didn't incur a penalty. I mean, that it was going to be a penalty. Well, if that's the case, they should have put it on him on the 12th hole, and that's the problem I have with it. Yeah, it, it was like they hinted at it and just told him it was a possibility. But if you're 100% certain, then you just tell him, hey, listen, play as if you have the penalty. And and then if you don't, you get a, you get an added free shot. But you know, I mean, almost say we're going to penalize you. And if you pull it back, then I think it would have been a, a an opportunity to say, hey, you actually shot four under, not three under, or three under, not two yeah. under. You know what? What I found interesting was I kept watching. And again, you already mentioned this, and it's a great point. This didn't affect the end of the outcome, which was nice. But the thing I Thank kept goodness. thinking when when Dustin hit it in that bunker on seventeen, he hit it in big mouth bunker on the right. And it looked like he was going to win this thing. Of course, this was before Shane Lowry played the 17th as well. But he yeah. hits it in big mouth bunkers, just where Jason Day had done. And Jason Day made six. It took him five shots to get it down from big mouth. And I was thinking, is Dustin thinking he's playing with the penalty or is he thinking he's playing without it? Because if he's thinking he's playing without it, he's playing for par. If he's thinking he's got the penalty, he's probably playing for a birdie. And really, at Oakmont, as penal as it is, any little mistake is magnified. So if he tries to throw that bunker shot at the flag, he catches it a hair thin and it goes over. Now he's looking six in the face. If he knows that he can make four, he probably plays it to 20, 30 feet short and hopes to two putt. I, I just wonder the, the, the mental battle that Dustin was facing, having to think, what is the outcome going to be here? What are they going to rule? While he's also, hey, trying to win a major championship. Yeah, we could one if about all the different scenarios that could have happened. Uh, you know, he said it best. And, you know, everybody handles adversity differently. Uh, he seemed to handle it very, very well yesterday uh, and because he was playing well. But I, I, I just think that, as he said, you know, penalty or no penalty, you still have to play golf and, uh, and hope for the best in the outcome. And, and, and as we both said, just thank goodness it didn't affect anything. Um, he made some great punts coming down the stretch, and uh, you know he's certainly a worthy champion. So, uh, you know, we'll forget about this shortly. Thank goodness, and uh, we'll remember how well he played. Yeah, is can you think of another player out there that, that, that's that's in the top ten, top fifteen, top twenty conversation that could have handled it as well as he handled it? Because he didn't really let it affect him. I mean, he he got told on the twelfth well, to really drive no three twenty eight. You know, yeah. You really have no choice. Uh, you know, it's out of your hands at that point, and you're playing for the U.S. Open, and you have to think to yourself. I mean, if if you're thinking clearly, okay, I mean, this is annoying as hell, and I don't like this, but I can still win. You know, 
I do have the lead here. And so let's just keep playing. And that's basically what he did. And I think most guys would have done just that. Uh, you know, there's, there's others wound a little tighter than, than Dustin that might've had more of a say on the 12th tee to him. But uh, I think bottom line, you got to pull up your bootstraps right there quickly and uh, have a conversation with the caddy and let's get on with it because we can still win this thing. I mean, this, this will not cost. if we do our job, this will not cost us the championship. And that seems the way it's the way he handled it. Yeah. And, and I've seen some people suggest that it, in a weird way, it might've helped him. It might've motivated him, might've fired him up. In a weird way, a you, you never know. People handle things differently and uh, it could have very well been. I mean, he made the putty made it 16 was phenomenal. And, uh, so, uh, you know, um, I, you know, I'd like to have a conversation with Shane Lowry today and see how it affected him. We didn't talk to him. And I certainly I can't talk to the players out there. I would never talk to the players. But he certainly was on an emotional roller coaster out there as well. Now, he was in a negative state because he wasn't playing as well and he was missing putts from all over, whereas Dustin was playing well, making putts in the lead. You know, therein lies the difference is, is the uh, – the uh, you know the confidence factor of what was going on at that particular moment in the last round of the Open. Yeah, and, and I want to get to Lowry next. I want to ask you one more question about this. Um, in yeah. 1989, you're you're in a similar situation. I mean, how would you have handled it? Because if they would have come up to you on 15 and said, "Hey, you may or may not have got a penalty for something you didn't think you did wrong," how do you think you yeah. would have handled it as as a 27, 28, 30 year old you know professional golfer trying to go back to bat? You know, I think you handle it the same way. What I just talked about, you know, you, you, it's annoying as hell and you're <laughs> aggravated, but you still have the key is you still have the lead and this hasn't cost you the open. Let's go get the job done. Let's make a birdie. Let's make all pars coming in because at that point too, everybody was going South. You have to remember whoever was going to challenge has already finished. If I rem- if the timeline for me is accurate, everybody that's going to fear, uh, uh, whoever it was is finished. Dustin knows that Shane Lowry behind him is going south. So I think you have to realize all these factors and just, you know, just kind of, kind of keep cool. I mean, this other, other smaller events might not happen. You might not react quite the same way, but this is the biggest event for Dustin Johnson in the world. So, uh, um, you know, just keep cool, calm and collected and go do your job. Yeah. And, and, and again, you, you were with Lowry. So, you know, yep. you're, you're, you get to the golf course, you're on the practice tee with him. Um, he was warming up. He has a four-shot lead. The story going into it is, of course, Shane Lowry. It is, who is this guy, and is he going to complete this journey and win a major championship? What did you see early on from Shane Lowry that, that, that obviously was, was, wasn't working for him? You know, you can't read too much into it because I've hit plenty of poor shots warming up. Uh, you got to remember, it's, these days were incredibly long for these players. Shane finished in the morning. I don't know what time they teed off, 7.30 or something. That means he's up at 5.30, 5.15. You know, and then you wait around for five hours and come back. And I watched him warm up. I watched him hit 30 balls or so, and I think he's yet to hit the middle of the club face. So, you know, I don't think much of it, but I keep it back in the mind in case he really goes south early. It's just something to, to, to you know, relate to the viewer. Uh, but uh, Andrew's the one that didn't miss a shot on the practice day. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was the one that had all the rhythm and tempo and confidence going, but uh, but no experience. But uh, you know, he Shane, you know, didn't start out well, and you know was hanging, hanging in there. And I say hanging because you, when you make a couple bogeys at Oakmont in the last round, 
you don't see many places where you can catch up at all there. There's no holes you can say, well, I can birdie this one. I'll get those back. So hanging and hanging around wins a lot of U.S. Opens, but he just couldn't get a grip on his game. And he just, from tee to green, wasn't that bad. But if there's, and it's not even a weak point, if there's a part of the game talking to two or three players yesterday morning in press, if there's a part of his game that is a little bit erratic, it's his putting. Now, if you come and try to play Oakmont on these greens that are running 14, 14 and a half, and you are a little erratic in your putting or just lose a little bit of feel, you're in deep trouble. Right. And that's what looked like happened. He lost a little confidence, and he knew he knew it was getting tight, still had the lead, but looked like he was backing up. Justin was playing well. The other guys way up ahead were playing well. And he just started missing putts. And when you start missing putts out here, it's just you, you lose a little confidence, and it's just the, the toughest green complexes in the world to putt. And and you spoke of Andrew Landry. We, we were you and I were both really impressed with him the whole week. I mean, he he just kept yeah. fighting back and kept fighting back. I mean, he comes out in the cold and makes that putt in the first round. He shoots thirty two on the second nine in the second round after a thirty nine on the front. You know, he, he did the same thing with birdies on seventeen and eighteen in the third round, and you just kept going. Is this kid going to keep fighting his way to to a potential U.S. Open Championship? Obviously, he struggled, you know, on on Sunday in the final round, but. I mean, not only, not only. I don't want you just to talk about you know the way he played on Sunday, but just how impressive really he was as as a unknown, complete unknown player the whole week, able to continue to put himself in the conversation and make that final group. Well, I first want to say how impressed I was with the way he handled yesterday, and the way he handled the first three days. Uh, he played remarkably well. I watched him on Saturday, and he didn't miss a shot. He looked like he he felt like he belonged there. He had a little giddy up in his step. He handled it. His speed was was perfect on the greens. And uh, do you think he's going to win? Well, it was going to be a big ask because it's by far the biggest stage he has ever been on. And uh, I just hope that he takes a lot of good things away from this past week. You know, don't think much about Sunday. Learn from it. Go over your round 100 times. Think about the way you were thinking, acting, feeling, and swinging. Think about how you made decisions. Uh, what happened to shoot 78 and move on. But you also got to remember that he has to remember that he played exceptionally well the first three days. And let's continue that. Let's continue that going forward, make a few more cuts, make some money on the tour. And, you know, he's got to take a lot of good out of this week, but it was a big ass for him to, to really hang in there and hang as, as I said on Saturday, we kept talking on TV. Well, he's hanging, he's hanging, he's hanging in there. And I finally said, you know, guys, I think that's a little bit disrespectful because he's doing more than just hanging. So uh, he's leading. Yeah. But I mean, anyway, he's, uh, he's, I, he's I right there. He yeah. Well. I mean, he was he, he was he was his body language. Did you see anything different? Did you see anything different from either of the players? I mean, because they both struggled obviously on Sunday. Did you see a different yeah. look to both of them at all than, than what you'd seen earlier in the week or what you saw early Sunday morning? Yeah, I did. I mean, like I just said, Shane didn't warm up very well at all. He. You know, I got over there and he was hitting middle irons and I watched him all through driver. He didn't warm up at all. Now, you know, like I said, that didn't mean that doesn't, that's not a, a big deal to me, but, uh, you know, if you look back on it, yeah, he was, he was, you know, it's just, it's about, it's about matching up. You're in, you're in the biggest stage you've ever played. He's an accomplished player, both over in Europe and in the U S but he's never been in this position. And so, uh, he was uncomfortable and he hit it, um, uh, well left on the first hole, 
And so I, it's not a good sign. And, and then, uh, uh, Andrew hit it well, right. Andrew was out of sorts from the very beginning. And it's just, like I said earlier, it's just hard to, to reel yourself in when you start going South because Oakmont doesn't let up. It's relentless. And a lot of times you can think, well, I got the par five, eight or 12 or 15. I can catch somebody. There's not a whole out there you can catch up on. 12 is a big par five that plays 680 yards long. <laughs> Where in the, when the hell are you going to make birdie there? No, no. And, and so my point is Oakmont is relentless and they just, they just, just weren't quite there on Sunday. Yeah. You know, what's funny, I, Andrew Landry, you, and you mentioned, you know, keep your head up, keep making cuts. It reminds mm-hmm. me, do you remember in 05 when Jason Gore was in that final group at the U.S. Open oh, yeah. and he shot a million with Goose and, and you know, I, I think he finished, I don't even think he finished in the top 30. I think he finished like 45th or 48th or something. And, um, you know, well out of the conversation, obviously not even a, a factor yeah. at that U.S. Open. But the confidence he took from that, he went and won a couple of more uh, at the time. I think they were nationwide tour events. Got a battlefield exemption onto the PGA Tour, and then won a PGA Tour event. Won the '84 Lumber. Yep. You know, I mean, there's little pieces of this stuff you can take back with you. And I do find Landry the way you know. I talk to him every day. I told him at one point his chair was the Landry chair, the one next to me, because I kept having him in there talking. And uh, you know, yeah, he's really yeah. gracious with his time. But you know, there's little pieces, and he he comes off like that confident type of player that can take this stuff and hopefully, you know, use it to good and not look at this and say it was a disappointment. So. You know, that's what you hope. And, and with yes, Shane Lowry... I think, I, yeah, to your point, yes, I, I hope so. And I think that's the case. You know, everybody says have fun on the golf course. Sometimes the fun doesn't ever show up. Right. And he didn't have a whole lot of fun <laughs> yesterday. But, you know, it's a good it's a good uh, uh, comparison to Jason Gore. I, You know, this little kid has a lot of game. He, he really does. a lot of and, game. Uh, he's plenty. He's plenty confident, uh, which is a good thing. I wish I could have spoken to him after the ground but we were all going every which way and i did speak to him just for a second before you know just good luck and and uh rooting for you and that kind of thing and i you know again everybody handles adversity different way everybody handles success and adversity like like andrew and and shane different ways but i think especially in andrew's case i think it's going to help him i really do yeah, you you won two U.S. Opens. You went back to back U.S. Opens at, at, at very difficult golf courses, as they all are. Is it is it fun playing U.S. Opens? Like, is it fun, even winning? Is it fun being in those moments, or is it just stress, stress, stress? You know, you train your whole life to get in that position, um, so it's an opportunity. I uh, fun. Um, it depends on your definition of fun. <laughs> you know, if you like sticking needles in your eyes, I guess it's fun. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I think that it's, it's, it's part of the game and it's just the competition. And I, I enjoy, I love the competition, but sometimes it was very, very hard and the pressure and, you know, you're, you're out there trying to keep your emotions and your nerves and your body so in check and you're exhausted after four days. So it depends on your definition of fun, but it is fun to what the fun does start is, is when you do break through those few times, I don't care if it's a tour event, a big amateur event or the U S open. That's when the fun is that you've accomplished something that you've worked so hard for so many years to do. Yeah. And, and, and I was going to ask you about the, the new age player, the, the 2016 professional golfer versus kind of the golfer golfers in, in your generation and during your prime, because, you know, I, I, I hear 
I hear a lot of these guys complaining, and I was right by the locker room, and you'd hear a lot of these guys complaining, especially on Sunday, how tough the course was, how fast the greens were, how tough the whole locations were. You know, Rory and Jordan Spieth, both you know, on on, on consecutive days, decided to to pass up on the media, even even the flash media. I mean, did players did 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 they complain? Did 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 they talk about these kind of golf courses the same as they do now, or did they kind of just suck it up and know it was a U.S. Open and it was going to be tough? I think they probably complained a little worse. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, the U.S. Open, as Jack Nicklaus said years ago, he liked playing in it because it eliminated half the field on the first tee uh, because they knew they weren't going to have a whole lot of, of good experience out there, and they went out there with a defeatist attitude. And, oh, yeah, they've complained ever since I played my first Open in 76. Half the field complains and pisses and moans, excuse me, but about setup. Well, what's wrong with the setup? You're playing a golf course that's got a lot of rough. Okay, we'll drive it in the fairway. Right. If you can't, you know who complains? The ones that can't drive it in the fairway. You got a lot of rough around the green. You know who the ones that complain? The lesser player who's not good at getting it up and in. And so the top players never complain. No, not one bit to the top 10, 15, or 20 players who thought they really truly had a chance. Uh, they never complained one bit. They knew this was going to be a marathon. This isn't four sprints like it is on the PGA Tour. This is a four-day marathon. And those who handle their swing, their nerves, the ability to putt these greens, they're the ones who can prevail. And look at our scoreboard yesterday. Look at the end scoreboard. All veteran players. Right. Jim Jim Furyk there again. I mean, you know, he was – he of all the players in the field, Jim Furyk is the guy that, that has the bogey-free round going at 18 and, and puts himself in a position. And, you know – I mean, the thing, the beauty of Oakmont, and we talked about 17 so much throughout the week, but the beauty yep. of Oakmont, Jason Day, the number one player in the world, is making a run for this U.S. Open trophy, hits a driver in the greenside bunker, and makes double bogey. And the hole's 308 yards or whatever. I mean, it's it's such a fun golf course to watch because it's so demanding on the best in the world. Yeah, I, I think 17 is a, a fantastic hole, and I think it's even a better hole being 17 because we all want excitement at the end of the tournament. I always want to see a guy have the opportunity to, to catch up a little bit, be it a reachable par five, or in this case, a reachable par four. Uh, I think it's fantastic. They played it back every day because just about everybody in the field can hit it far enough to get it up in front of the green. What I don't like is them taking a good par four. That's not quite drivable and moving the tees up and manipulating the golf course and destroying, not destroying, but changing the integrity of a particular hole. Two yesterday, they made it more drivable, but they put it 15 yards up. I thought that was okay. I didn't agree with it, but it was okay because it was a challenge and a decision to make. But 17, I always love a short par four like that on a golf course because it really does make you think. But as long as the design was for a drivable par four, right. not let's don't manipulate and take a good par four, and, and and change it into a drivable that really shouldn't be. But anyway, the case is 17 was fantastic. And and uh, you know what? Drivable and you make double bogey on it, you've got nobody to blame but yourself. That's exactly right. Do you, do, do you, you told me a great story about uh, a member you knew um, giving you some advice on the ninth hole. I was hoping you might <laughs> share that story. Well, in 1994, uh, I came in here and I played with an old-time member, Mr. Frank Fuhrer. And... Uh, I was like three back going into Sunday's round before I left the house that morning. He said, Curtis, 
when the pins front right at nine today, put it in the front right bunker. Now, nine's a reachable par five, okay? Right. He said, put it in the front right bunker. You can't two putt from the middle of the green. I leave the house saying, yeah, right. You, you know, you, you just watch. <laughs> so I drove it in the fair, actually short rough because I had a flower law six iron into the green. And I see the flag in the front right of the green. I see the shallow bunker in the front right of the green. The last thing I'm going to do is put it in the bunker. So I put it in the middle of the green and I proceeded to three putt, run it right off the green. Well, fast forward, I lose by a shot. Well, the, when I go to the locker room, the first gentleman I see is Mr. Frank Fuhrer. Well, God, well, well, I told you to put it in the front bunker. And, you know, he was right and I was wrong because the front bunker back then was much shallower and it was a simple up and in where in the middle of the green at nine, you just can't two putt. A lot of local knowledge there, but I didn't take I didn't take heed of, of his uh, of his uh, local knowledge. He was he was trying to point you in the right direction. Um, well, last, I'm a little it, stubborn. I'm that, little I know it's it's okay. I, that's that's part of it. Hey, listen, you're a prof- <laughs> you're a professional golfer. You know you'd want a couple of these things. You know what you're doing. Um, last thing, and I wanted to ask you just one Dustin thing, especially about the win and kind of going forward. Do you think this is this is the the stepping off point for him? Do you think? Now that he has one of these, do you see him winning three, four, five majors? I mean, or, I mean, I know it's really hard to win majors. I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to yeah. do that, but do you think that his now knowing he can do it, does that help him mentally, and does that push him forward to to really uh, almost almost living up to his talent? Yes, uh, you know, do they come in, in in bunches? Probably not because it is difficult. But he does have the game to join the elite status uh we have to remember that he's had a chance to win three of the four majors um uh, you know obviously the u.s open uh at pebble beach uh the british open in 12 or 13 uh hit a two iron out of bounds on the 14th hole when he was making a run i think he was only two back and then of course uh last year uh at the uh at the u.s open so i i think the world and the pga i'm sorry yeah and what's so i think that he uh uh, is a wonderful talent. You can't, there's no substitution chain for strength on a golf course and strength shows its face so many different ways. The, the most obvious is off the tee. Well, he's still, I hear last week, the longest on tour. He drives the ball relatively straight for his length. Wonderful iron player, great body to play the game, good chipper, good putter. He has everything. Now, all he has to do now is be patient He's not going to win every major, but I tell you what I really truly believe he's going to be in contention in the next two majors without a doubt, uh, because he has that game. And you know, the other three players we talk about Jordan doesn't have quite the length, but has the putter. Then we talk about Rory and a Jason. They have the length and their putters sometime questionable. So I think he has all the ability to join that threesome and make it a foursome. And, uh, I, I expect him to. What was the most surprising um, disappointment, I guess you could say, to you uh, this week? Which player were you kind of circling that that you thought really had a chance that you were most surprised, uh, even maybe even didn't make the weekend? Jordan Spieth. And I know coming in as a defender, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, he said it wasn't much once he got through Tuesday and all the press. And, and I, I can relate to that. But... Um, you know, he didn't, you know, he played okay. To, to finish in the top 10 in the open is fantastic plan. And to expect and to point and say he's the favorite, there is pressure in that, both from within and from the outside. And, uh, but I thought, I really thought 
he had a hell of a chance to be the the newest member of the back-to-back club. I was concerned, as they say, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, he had the game. He, you know, I saw him in the in our preview show on Wednesday. He didn't miss a shot for six or seven holes. But it's a big difference between Tuesday, Wednesday, and then ring the bell on Thursday. But you know, he didn't have his best week. But it doesn't mean he's he's playing poorly or anything like that. He just didn't have the quite the week that he had wanted. But I I I think the world of him as a person and as a player, and um, he's a. Uh, he's not going anywhere trust me no no and and finally i wanted to ask about your job uh you know you got to you get to walk all week with these players first yeah. how are your dogs barking and second did you did you enjoy it i mean do you love being out there with them you know my my wheels are a little sore today yeah, I um, understand. and uh but you know what they're sore because a couple of reasons people don't realize we on the golf course walk in the rough all day long uh thank goodness i didn't drive in the rough very often but anyway that stuff is the, that uh, stuff's oakmont Oakmont is an incredibly hilly golf course, and I'm a nervous cat out there. So I walk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, waiting for these guys to hit. So I walked a lot, of, a lot the last four days. But I got to tell you, it's really my first big event on the golf course, and I had a ball. The only, the only drawback or the only frustration part of it is that sometimes you don't have, get a chance to to say things because you just don't have time to. But with Oakmont being so demanding and such tough bunkers in the fairway and such rough and such greens, there was so much that you wanted to say. And sometimes you just don't have the chance to do it, but that's the nature of the beast. But being out there right there with them and watch them react and act and react and hit shots uh, was, was really an honor for me and a pleasure to be a part of it. Well, uh, I mean, I know I've told you this and I speak for Fox and everything like that, but it has been a pleasure not only having you on this, but having you on the four ball and, and having you upcoming other events. I mean, it's, it's been a, a pleasure not only getting to know you, but you bring a completely different element of professionalism to to our broadcast that I think uh, everybody, not only at our team, but above and beyond our team, uh, agrees is, is is a welcome addition. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and, and obviously it's been it's been great hanging with you. And listen, you don't have to talk to me for like two weeks. That's going to be a bonus. Hey, always a pleasure. You know, all we're trying to do at the end of the day, all we're trying to do at Fox or whoever the network might be, is bring the game a little bit closer to our viewer. Have them understand the game a little bit better. And if we can do that, then we've done our job. That's exactly right. That's Curtis Strange. Curtis, I appreciate it. Have a good week, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you, Shane. Talk to you. Well, there you have it. That's the clubhouse. That is the Monday wrap of the U.S. Open, a really fun week. We at Fox thank all you guys for watching and and, and, and sending us love and, and, and being nice and gracious, you know, it's our second year doing it. We had Chambers last year with Jordan Spieth and Dustin battling on out. And it was awesome. This year we have Dustin Johnson and the USGA and, you know, him kind of, you know, you know, bucking that off his back. I thought that was an impressive, incredible way. You know, really quick on Dustin. He hits driver five iron on a par five at Chambers Bay as good as you can hit them. Of course, we know what happened on the green. He gets to 18 this year. He hits two shots as good as you can hit them on the final hole. This guy is a machine. His golf swing is is, is machine-like. It really is. And I, I really do believe we could see him win five majors, six majors before his career is over. That's how good he is. If, if, he, if he can make the putt, if he makes putts in a major, he's going to win a whole bunch. That's all I got to say. And finally, I just wanted to quickly comment on my four days there. I just wanted to say I've never been more proud of anything I've ever done in my professional career uh, than being a part of this Fox broadcasting team in this U.S. Open. Uh, just to be a part of a team. I, it, 
it had such a team atmosphere from Wingfoot, from everything. We, we, we just were really gelled. We really bonded. Adding Curtis, adding Paul was just uh, it was a match made in heaven. It really was. You know, it, it was so much fun to just be in the rooms with these guys. And, you know, it was really, really did feel like you were on a baseball team or a basketball team that really felt like they could win a championship. Uh, you know, I, I just wanted to say to Mark and Steve and Jesse, Newbarth, uh, Joe, Zinger, Brad, Holly, Curtis, Scotty McCarran, Julie, Brooksy, Flesh, Gil, Shano, Ken, David, Dave, everybody. Anybody I missed, I apologize. The entire digital team, everybody involved in this incredible production that you just have absolutely no idea how much goes into it. Sarita and Danielle, we couldn't do any of this stuff without you guys. You guys are absolutely amazing. You guys should be getting a billion times more than whatever you get paid, even if you do get paid a billion dollars. I don't know. Maybe you do. Uh, again, you guys send in stuff. I, I really do appreciate it. I mean, it, it, uh, you know, we, we, we did Chambers Bay. We were proud of it. We improved at Oakmont. We get to go to Aaron Hills. We'll improve at Aaron Hills. We're excited about it. I thought the technology was something that has never been shown in a golf broadcast before. So uh, thanks again. I mean, it, it really, you know, when you guys, uh, you know, you guys send stuff, we see it and we appreciate, you know, what you say and, and, and how much you, you were happy with it. Uh, Bob Ford, Devin G at Oakmont. Thank you guys. The course was amazing. I mean, it just, it's, it's an operation unlike any other in, in all of golf. So just some thanks, just some love. I just wanted to say it. It's an honor um, to call some of these people my friends now, to, to be able to call Curtis Strange and have on the podcast. It's surreal. It really is. So uh, we will try to be back on Wednesday with another Clubhouse podcast with a potential guest. I'm working on it right now. Uh, so check, obviously check your phones and refresh and all that good stuff. Send us in uh, any comments uh, or emails or anything you want, and, uh, and we will get back to them, and we will get back to you when we get back to you. Have a good week. <laughs>